DJ PK and Chris Camerani joining as staff writer for The Athletic, covering the Utes and then other things that interest him around the state of Utah. But Utah football, the primary focus. Chris, good morning. Good morning, guys. Oh, come on, Chris. Where's the energy? Come on, Chris. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was going to start off by saying I thought you guys had forgotten about me, but I'm glad I haven't been forgotten yet. Oh, I was texting you during a radio <laughs> appearance last week. You know I haven't forgotten about you. Where, when do you call me? I think you've forgotten about me. You've moved on. You're national. You're big time now. You don't need to talk to me I know. I've anymore. forgotten about you. <laughs> I, know, PK, I know PK PK hasn't forgiven me for not getting a haircut years ago. So until that day comes... <laughs> I don't think it's ever going to happen. Uh, no, that, probably that's gonna your be calling card in a doghouse. <laughs> no, no, I, that's your calling card. I think you got to stay with it. That's that's giving you your separation. Well, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'll take it. So we want to jump in here and talk a little Utah football with you. There's plenty of stuff I'd like to talk to you about, but that's the that's the thing you devote the most energy and attention to. It's the primary reason. Uh, The Athletic has you, and it's what they want you writing about. And just two hours ago, you posted a story. The headline is, Utah prepares for spring practice. The question, again, is about the starting quarterback. Everybody wants to know about the starting quarterback. And PK will tell anybody who will listen that it's going to be Charlie Brewer. And I was talking to somebody who, you know, has a little info on the Ute program. It's like, well, of course it's going to be Charlie Brewer. What are you, stupid? <laughs> so why are we discussing who this is going to be? Because everybody who seems to have any inside info is like, obviously it's Charlie Brewer. What are you thinking? You know what? Uh, conventional wisdom points to that, but I'm going to snap a curveball, and I'm going to say that Jaquindon Jackson has a shot at this thing. Um, and I'm just saying that based on recent history – of quarterback battles at the University of Utah. Um, I know it's only within the last five years, but looking at 2017 when Tyler Huntley beat out uh, a senior captain in Troy Williams, and then going back to last year, Cam Rising beating out uh, a senior captain in Jake Bentley. I'm not saying uh, the third time is going to be an underclassman charm necessarily, but it's an interesting place to be, guys, because you, you guys talk about the existence of the transfer portal pretty much every day on your show, and <laughs> rightfully so. But here's the thing. like, If Jaquindon Jackson and Charlie Brewer are theoretically 1-2 this spring, with, with Cam Rising recovering and the true freshman, Peter Costelli, probably third in the pack, if, if you're Andy Ludwig, if you're Kyle Whittingham, do you really go all in on a senior grad transfer who only has one year left? Or if the separation isn't that substantial, do you go with the guy who has as many as four years to play, knowing that here's a guy who, while he doesn't have game reps, he doesn't have the 10,000 career uh, total yards of offense that Charlie Brewer had at Baylor. Here's a guy who was at one point the number three dual threat quarterback in the country and a guy who is, you know, by all intents and purposes does everything that Andy Ludwig wants to do from a quarterback scheme standpoint, meaning he can throw the ball and he's a threat in the rushing attack. I I understand that people assume that Charlie Brewer is the guy, but I think a lot of us assumed last year that Jake Bentley was the guy. 
All right, Chris, I need you for an hour now that you brought all that <laughs> stuff up. <laughs> uh, you just, uh, you just, my brain was just on fire when you were saying all these things because all of us are pretty close to the program. There's some stuff I'm going to throw at you to get your response, and uh, it's a, uh, a in favor of what you're saying, and it's also against what you're saying, and I'll start with in favor. One thing I've learned is Kyle loves running quarterbacks because he's a defensive guy and he's always felt that mobile quarterbacks are the toughest for him to defend. And let's face it, we know that's the way he approaches everything from the football perspective. So that's in your favor. Now, against your favor is Kyle turned 62 this year. I don't think he's going to be coaching uh, at 67, 68 years of age. So he is in a win-now mentality. And then with this kid Brewer, if Brewer helps him win this year, because there's no reason why they don't contend again this year. And they've been right there. Throw out last year. Last year was just not even mm-hmm. worth discussing as far as a, a race for the South and for the conference. But the other two years, obviously, they were right there. Washington, and we know all that happened, so I don't need to go over that stuff. So in against it is Kyle's got a win-now mentality because he's not building a program. He's trying to win now. So those are my two thoughts there. Respond to that. So regarding you know the win-now mentality, I understand that. Um, and you know what? It's, it's really weird, guys, because what – transpired at Utah the last five years is it's gone against pretty much everything that uh, runs to reason of, of what you would go with. Like the fact that Troy Taylor went with Tyler Huntley over Troy Williams, that really never happens. And the fact that it happened again a few years later, even under a different offensive coordinator, just goes to show that Utah isn't afraid to go with the quarterback that they believe has the most upside and who can help them win now. Now, the, the win-now thing is a little tricky because you throw in a guy like Charlie Brewer who comes to Utah who's thrown for, I think, 9,700 yards in four years in the Big 12, um, you know, rushed for another three or 400 yards. So Charlie Brewer, in his own right, is a, is a dual-threat quarterback, too, in a sense. But Charlie Brewer also comes to Utah with a, a recent history of, of some injuries, some head injuries, and we know how, you know, sticky those types of injuries can be short-term and long-term. So I, I understand why Utah went out and got Charlie Brewer because of his ability, um, you know, as a quarterback. But I don't know, guys. I just, I just think, like, if the separation isn't that substantial, I could definitely see a situation where where Andy and Kyle decide to roll with – you know, somebody else. And that's not, that's not a slight on Charlie. I, I mean, we're just talking hypotheticals here. The other thing we also have to take into account is, is this offense might be more run heavy than it's been even in recent years with the exodus of wide receivers at the program. Utah has Britton Covey who does everything for him and, and Solomon Enos who, you know, in, in theory is a, a big bodied receiver who can go up and, you know, make the difficult catches. But after that, Guys, I mean, there's just not much there. You have Jalen Dixon coming back, but he took a year off. We don't know what he looks like physically. And then after that, it's a bunch of, you know, former walk-ons and scout team guys. Okay. So but, it, yeah, sorry, but, I was just going to say, it, it's just the, the, the layers to this conversation, I think, go way beyond who the starting quarterback is going to be. 
because the personnel around whoever QB1 is going to be is going to necessitate that. Sure, but it could be, and I don't. I got one more quarterback question before we get to the receiver group. So, because you bring up excellent points there, and we're going to get to that. But with quarterbacks, more and more, as interested as I am in the starter, when we get in these situations, and BYU is basically in the same situation uh, this year, uh, I'm really interested in who the second quarterback is because the first quarterback isn't making it through the season very often. I mean, it was just two years ago, BYU played three quarterbacks. Utah, we had this big quarterback competition, and we were surprised by who won it. And then after 14 snaps, there's an injury, so it doesn't matter who won it. Yeah. Who is going to be number two? Because number two ought to really feel like they're 1A, and whether it's uh, Troy Williams, who got, I think, two or three starts his senior year, but he got the start against USC at the Coliseum, which for we, if you're not an L.A. kid, you just you, you can't underestimate how important that was, right? If it was one game he wanted to start, it wasn't Utah-BYU, it was Utah-USC, and he got to start it. So whether you're getting the whole season or you're getting three or four key games along the way, number two is really 1A. So can you tell us who's going to be in that group? I mean, is Cam Rising, who was the starter, seriously going to end up number three on the depth chart? Well, listen, every possible scenario that Utah could face from a quarterback battle, it, it, it has. It has a former starting quarterback who suffered a season ending injury, who is, undergoing a a lengthy recovery process. That's one. You have a four-star true freshman recruit who was recruited by the likes of Oregon, Michigan State, LSU. He's on the roster. You have a a four-star transfer kid who was at Texas, who was at one point, as I mentioned, the number three rated dual quarterback in the country. And then you have a a grad transfer senior who comes to Utah with over 10,000 yards of total offense after four years as a starter in the Big 12. We, I know, like the, the question is always going to be quarterback here, but like this is this is on another level of, of what of what Kyle and Andy are facing in terms of how they settle this thing out and and what the uh, how the dominoes fall. I, I do think in terms of like who is number two, it depends on how Cam uh, you know recovers from his surgery and his rehab. I know Kyle said that he wants to have Cam get a legit shot in the fall if he's able to recover and get there. And I understand that. Um, but it, if we're operating in the scenario that Cam isn't 100% by the fall, I think you go in thinking that Jaquindon Jackson and Peter Costelli are kind of uh, in the running for that number two spot because essentially they both have the same amount of eligibility based on last year with Jaquindon Jackson's true freshman year not counting towards his eligibility. Um, but again, like it, it, everything is so up in the air because you have all of these different you know, variants of, of – of quarterbacks and you're, you could potentially have four starting caliber guys come fall. It's going to be very interesting to see how it all shakes out. The guy holiday situation was something that caught me by surprise. And uh, DJ and I did a little research. It's a little more understandable now. What is your take? Well, you know what guys, when it comes to stuff like this, I'm always going to rely on the person who was affected by it themselves the most. And uh, when you guys had Guy on last week, I think Guy spoke his truth, and he was very forthcoming and transparent. And for for anybody who knows Guy Holiday, you wouldn't expect anything less. Um, but it was really, you know, intriguing to hear him talk about the the mental and physical toll that the last few years have taken on him. Um, 
I didn't see it coming either, but listen, sometimes changes are warranted, and, and Guy said that himself. And the reality is um, maybe it was a confluence of things coming to a head at one time, but you know, losing a guy like Brian Thompson is, to ASU is one thing, and I, I understand the, the Samson Nakua departure. There were some other things, you know, family-related reasons that he and Puka ended up back in Provo together. I understand that. But to have two guys who are, in theory, two of your top four receivers bounce a few weeks before spring ball, that does not bode well for the, for the trajectory of the position group. And I just think those were kind of the two uh, last straws. And, and Kyle and you know, his staff felt like they needed to make a change. PK has often uh, said that there are uh, people with uh, good knowledge of the program who've wanted to go Stanford double tight ends. And under one head coach, but multiple offensive coordinators, although we've seen a taste of that at times, we've never seen a really steady diet of it the way Stanford does. But given everything you just said about the receiver position, and they got one or two guys maybe they can count on, but they do seem to have a group of tight ends that is pretty good, do you think it's going to look a little different? Power run game, two tight ends, linebackers and strong safeties, thinking this guy's coming to block me and knock my head off again, and all of a sudden they dip his shoulder and they run right by him, and it's a big play down the seam. Is it going to look different? you think we're going to get a lot of double tight ends this year? I think there's a legit argument to be said there, especially considering how deep the tight end room is uh, with everybody coming back from last year's group. And um, I, I think the other thing that we haven't even touched on is, is, is – Every Utah offense will be predicated on the run game and with the tragedy surrounding Ty Jordan. I just don't think people, I mean, some fans might understand, but for those who watched Ty Jordan last year, like this was as close to as an it guy that Utah had from an offensive perspective in a very, very long time. I know Zach Moss is the, the best running back in school history, but just watching the way Ty Jordan played football as a true freshman it was different, and I think you guys would probably agree with me on that standpoint. And to have that sort of tragedy hit your program and lose a guy like that and then have to replace him in such a short amount of time and to do so with two uh, you know, transfer portal guys, I think the offense is just going to look remarkably different this year. And that, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. In theory, you have a three-headed monster at the running back position with you know, TJ Pledger IV and Chris Curry and Makai Bernard. But, DJ, to your point, I, I think the strength of this offense, probably from a skill position standpoint, is, is the tight end right now. And we, we saw what Brand Keithy can do. I think Cole Fotheringham is a very good secondary option as a tight end. And, and maybe Utah just needs to go full Stanford this year. We won't be able to see what spring ball, spring ball looks like, but it wouldn't surprise me if we get to fall, and that's the look of this team. Yeah, that's an interesting concept because – Kyle just he, he approaches offense from a defense's perspective and what he feels is the most difficult to defend. But you look at the personnel and it might scream that this might be the most traditional offense that they've had in years yeah. with all the things that you just listed. So um, it's going to be so fascinating to see how it develops here because – this is not this is not a development year. This is a year to win. There's no reason why they don't win. And maybe they don't win the South, but there's a, they have every shot. So I don't know necessarily where I'm going with a question. I'm just trying to figure out 
you know, <laughs> what they're what they're going to do. And I feel like I know you well enough that I don't have to interview you. No, that well, I could just I, talk I, with you. <laughs> well, I think what you were getting at, uh, PK, is that the development of the defense last year expedited this this roster's timeline. And, and I think the fact that that young defense was so good last year in such a short amount of time that it proved that with a competent offense in 2021, right. this, team, this team absolutely has a chance to compete for the South. I, I know right. the defense maybe takes a few licks. Uh, you know, l- losing Nate Ritchie and Sione Fotu to, to missions is going to hurt. I thought those two guys were phenomenal true freshman players as starters. Um, but you know what? I mean, I think we all just have to finally understand that until it happens, you just have to rely on Utah's defense always being legit. Until there's a year where Utah's defense can't do anything well, you just have to understand that Utah is going to always have that as its calling card. So, to your point, PK, I just think the, the, based on the abilities of that defense last year, it expedited the timeline of, of what this quote-unquote rebuild was going to be after losing all of that talent in 2019. Uh, Chris, you have a story up on The Athletic, and you came on the big show and talked about it, but you did a kind of a dive into Quinn Snyder's background. He's not a guy who goes into that a lot. He's a look-forward guy, not look-back guy. And some of that stuff is for a national audience, and we know it, but also you're, you're pretty good at digging to find stuff that interests you that's new to you. Give me one thing you learned about Quinn Snyder, one perspective you have now that you didn't before you started diving in on that story. Well, for me, the, the takeaway was that 12 years later, a bunch of guys who got to know Quinn Snyder over a weekend still talk about him glowingly and, and talk about their effect he had on their playing careers. Um, you know, Quinn was the coach of the 2009 D-League All-Star Game back in uh, 09 when it was at the Phoenix Convention Center, which is like two blocks from where the Suns play. It's a very rinky-dink setup at the time. The D-League was still very young. And, uh, you know, while Nate Robinson is jumping over Dwight Howard and winning dunk contests, there's Quinn Snyder a couple of blocks away trying to figure out what his path is going to be from a coaching perspective. Everybody knows Quinn's story and, you know, how he got to the Jazz. But my takeaway ultimately was it was interesting to, to find out that Quinn – had an audible in terms of how he wanted those old Austin teams to play. And it, that audible back then, 12 years ago, was essentially laid the groundwork for how this Jazz team plays today. Quinn went to Greg Popovich. He went to R.C. Buford and said, listen, guys, we don't have the personnel to run the Spurs motion offense. I understand that that got you four championships. But this team that we have now needs to be predicated on space and shooting the three. And talking to Quinn last week and then talking to some other guys that have been around him over the years, they say that watching the Jazz play now is absolutely based on and and is indicative of of what those old Austin Spurs team or Austin Toros teams played like. So that, that was really cool to hear and see. Chris, we're out of time. We could talk to you for another half hour. There's plenty of ground to cover. We'll have to have you back. I will call you daily since you don't ever think I've forgotten about you. I'm always I'm always here, guys. I know you guys just have bigger fish to fry, but I'm always here if you need me. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Guys.
All right, there's Chris Camerani, DJ and PK. We had to take a break. We're way late. We like talking to Chris, so we just ignore Yach when he said, you were supposed to break five minutes ago. It's true. We were, but we like this talking to Chris. definitely not the latest you've ever broken. It's not a record, but it's also way past time. And, uh, and we had like 47 more questions for Chris, so we'll have to get him back on. That means we have him back on, yeah. DJ and PK, coming up next, everything you missed in this show. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Sam Amick with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Sam, do you have a favorite for Coach of the Year? The minute you said Coach of the Year, you know, my brain went straight to Quinn, so I think that's probably pretty telling. Kids get consideration for sure, but some of the young guys have progressed, and I'm not trying to say that they don't have a foundation at all, but there's part of me that feels like the Knicks have kind of gone all in on having Julius Randle kind of get loose and then you know playing Derrick Rose big minutes and, and leaning into some vets that get you over the top. To me, it's not in the same ballpark is what Utah has done. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Daniels across the timeline. Puts up a deep three. Missed it. Hoyes win. 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 PK, remember when you had vinyl back in the day? Was that a skip? What was going on there? Was there a scratch? No, that is unedited. Old school. It's like some album from the 50s, and your parents had it and passed it down to you. 22 times Hoyas win. Uh, Was that because it was their 22nd win of the year? No, it's because of the upset. They beat, um, who'd they take down? Villanova. They did beat Villanova. You are correct. The Hoyas did win. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently. 22 times. Man, you scratched my Beatles album. <laughs> it did remind me of uh, when it would do that there for a little bit. Now that's uh, although uh, Jake Scott does some vinyl, so vinyl's still out there. Apparently, oh. there's somewhat of a some the collectors. Some, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got some. I don't know where they are. Uh, <laughs> I've got some around here, but I think that's probably excessive. <laughs> <laughs> probably, possibly. I could have quit at ten. That would have been good. I mean, it's a conference tournament non-title game win. Quarterfinal, right? So, so Virginia's now out. They had a COVID test, right? So Georgia Tech advances to the yep. final. That's the second one. Duke obviously stepped aside yesterday. It's going to be interesting to see how Duke does because historically when these coaches just won't quit, it usually ends far worse than when they had it going on. And the reason why they're able to stay so long is because they did have it going on. But they, it doesn't seem like they end on a high note. You know what I mean? Not usually. You're thinking Florida State football right now, aren't you? There's any number of examples. I mean, Bruce Bochy with the Giants. You know, it's obviously started to slip. And they were at such a high level that it was – going to slip. Yeah, somehow it's worse with the colleges because with the pros, sometimes you can write it off to, well, the roster aged and, yeah, you know, they milked it all they could and now it's time to, to rebuild. Well, it's like what the Rockets are doing now. But in, this, is what the, yeah. this is what should happen to the Rockets. Right, right. But in college, if you've yeah. got one of those programs, well, you just keep bringing in the recruits and you just right. keep it going. There's no mm-hmm. there's no rebuild. The only, the only bad year Duke had in the 90s was because Coach Gad had back surgery and didn't sick. coach one year. Yeah, he was out. Yeah. 
Uh, other yeah, college so basketball, the Utah State, slow start. Then they dominated UNLV with a 50-point second half, and they win 74-53, so they're playing Colorado State tonight. High stakes, PK, late-night game, 10 o'clock. Remind you of the big Mondays back in the day in the Mountain West? Well, actually, uh, not just that, but this conference tournament always had those games. The Van Horn, two games. Mm-hmm. The New Mexico uh, game had, ended at midnight, didn't it? I believe it? they were both. Yeah. All big Mondays. Yeah, and the prior game, I think it was SMU, and the tip in, Andre threw it up there and, and Keith tipped it in. I think that bec- both of those games were that. And the Pac-12 has that time slot, too. So it's just a question of if you get in that draw. And then they can – the Cougars always play 10 o'clock on a <laughs> Monday. Top seed gets, they always, the, yeah, the, top seed that, gets the early thing, game, and that's Gonzaga's. Well, I, I, Topsy doesn't necessarily get the early game. It's what the game that TV dictates, and they figure Gonzaga is going to slaughter their team, mm-hmm. so have a game that's going to be more competitive. And obviously, the BYU Pepperdine game went into OT. Thanks a whole freaking lot going to bed at one o'clock. So, <laughs> uh, as I said, that ain't it. 10 p.m. tips ain't it. Uh, the Pac-12 yeah, fourth yeah, game got uh, pushed late because the second game went overtime, and then the Utes were the third game, and it went double overtime as UCLA got knocked out by Oregon State. No tee. Yeah, that was way too late. Uh, Utah yeah, loses. Yeah, this in is d- fine. Uh, Friday night, it's fine to see the Aggies. They don't have to get up tomorrow. Right. Uh, so we spent a lot of time on Larry Kristoviak. So we got a lot of people uh, tweeting in, and largely people who tweeted in think he's – had a run, and that's good enough. There's one big group there, and it's time for a change. There's another group that might be ready for a change, but thinks either the finances aren't there or the optics aren't there, even if the money is. So they think he gets another year. He made an impassioned uh, uh, post-game, I don't know, speech or answer to a question, but, you know, he thinks... Statement. Statement, yes. Uh, the, the, the team's going to be back, and why should I try to recapture this when Yox got it. I just made it clear in the locker room. Would love to have everybody back coaching this group again. We can lace it all up. Everybody can come back. Got a couple additions to the roster. You know, I remain optimistic. Guys can work on their basketball game, but we can come back as a brotherhood and hopefully play in front of fans. I have no questions in my mind, contrary to a lot of the noise, that this is a program that is on the rise. We've got uh, a number of young players that are playing games. We got guys that want to get in the weight room. Got a lot of high character people so i have no reason to to believe otherwise so there's larry now the question is will everyone be back timmy allen sampled the nba draft last year and frequently when someone samples the draft it means you've only got him for one more year he could come back he's a junior and the clock doesn't move the eligibility clock doesn't move so he could come back for two more years if he wants i don't think anyone wants to bet on that uh the question right now is will he come back for one plumber's a senior Will he come back? And then you brought up the the point about, which I think is spot on, that there are good young players uh, from foreign countries, and they can go closer to home, start their pro career, start making money, and start the trajectory of that career. So do they want to come back? And then you just have the, hey, kids transfer in the NCAAs these days, and, you know, it's it's a— you know, it's a it's a red red check mark. You know, like you get on the old test when you're getting graded in school. It's a red check mark on Larry's resume at Utah. How many guys have transferred to other schools? But you can't get upset about every single person who transfers because, to a certain degree, that's life now. 
Now, the problem is he's been losing multiple guys out of the core of what we thought was going to be next year's team. So is the core of this team really coming back is the first question. And you think the answer is probably yes and that he needs another year because of that. Okay, yeah, I agree. I agree with what you just said because you're you're just recapping I'm recapping what, what you said. said. That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> is there anything you want to add to that or underline? Because I think what happens is nothing happens in a bubble. You know, you largely said set the money aside. The NBA and we finals did. Thank you. And the whole playoffs did. <laughs> and there is this middle ground that could work in Larry's favor here where Mark Harlan knows he can make a change. It won't look good, and it'll take some blowback for it. Chris Hill has always he's, he's been very clear, both privately and publicly, about the blowback he's taken for multiple coaching changes, uh, whether it was Jack Letty or uh, or uh, he, well, he didn't take any for Boylan. Well, the I don't big think. one was McBride. McBride was the biggest one, uh, but there was still some for other changes. So, well, he t- and potentially for Kyle on that thing, a right? Few years back. Yeah, yes, that was probably the second biggest one where. Uh, Kalani left, and the assistants only got one year, and yeah, so there was the there was then, friction there, and then Kyle big time friction, yes, and then Kyle won, and two words, two words, bull eligible, <laughs> and so all of that, you know, all that went away. I'm just gonna cut that one. And you like that, that one better? <laughs> yeah. The original is a classic. Hey, well, find the original. I know you got a new computer, and it's hard. Find the original. We want to hear that again. Any reason to hear that is 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 worth it. So I can't see the middle ground here where he says, yeah, I could do it, and I, I kind of want to do it, but you know what? I'm going to have to take a lot of heat about the money, and he does have a young core, and assuming that Mark reaches out to these players and he knows that, if not all, at least the vast majority of them are coming back and there is a good core there, I can see him saying, yeah, well, I wouldn't do this any other time. Uh, you know, his rep coming from South Florida is that Mark made coaching changes, and he was not shy about it. And I heard about that within a couple days of him being hired, and you probably did too. And I went and looked it up to see if people were telling me the truth, and they were. He changed a lot of coaches. Olympic sports too, not just wow. to our profile. So yeah, he's not, he's not know. shy at doing that, but in this circumstance, it's definitely different because of the size of the buyout, because of the pandemic and the financial situation. And Larry is likable. He's got that going for him. Two words. Two words. Ball eligible. That was awesome. So if you want the the Utes to win, somebody needs to tell Kyle that he sucks and he's not going to win very much this year. I can do that. (laughs) First question, Monday morning, Kyle, I got two things. Number one, you suck and you're not going to win very much this year. Why are you still coaching? You're not that good. (laughs) The game has passed you by. I just wanted to look on his face when you asked that question. BYU fans are like, no, we had a chance. Don't do that. You're making this harder. Oh, I got the uh, I got the golf channel on. I was telling Yach because they're playing the players down yeah. uh, by Jacksonville, and so they they do updates and they they're 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 from the course there, uh-huh. and you know they, they'll start here with live coverage in about a half hour. Well, if you turn it on right now, there's a guy interviewing a certain celebrity who is new to Jacksonville, and we're going to see how he's going to Urban do Meyer! His name is Urban Meyer. <laughs> Urban Meyer just sat down. He's I can't even see it, and I knew good. who you were talking about. <laughs> Urban, why is Urban there? Because Urban is recruiting. Because the dads and the high school coaches of players might be watching this, and he's talking to them. He never... He's not going to college, though. He never stops. 
Yeah, he's talking about golf. Got a picture of him uh, swinging yeah. a club. So, uh, getting back to Larry, to me, if there are a couple of guys that leave the program and they're not Plumber because he's been there and he and he's a senior, uh, but if there are a couple of guys, then I might I might I might think about it seriously if they don't come back. Well, what about Allen? I mean, it's no, if a guy of no, his of talent course. leaves after three years, that's nothing the Alan. coach needs to be castigated for. Because he's at a point where that's a normal nah, but thing no, to do. No, 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 no. But you, that's for the NBA. Suppose he goes to play someplace else. Oh, if he goes to play somebody else. Yeah, if he transfers to go play somewhere else. No, I'm thinking that he, he stuck his toe in the NBA waters last year. And often that means if you don't go then, you're going the next year. Well, if you want to get paid then, and, he, and you're not quite ready for the NBA, you just go to Arizona. Heyo. <laughs> Sun Devil taking a shot. All right. A yep. shot? Yeah. Sun Devil taking a shot. A shot? A justified, well earned shot. <laughs> I completely agree. Got people caught on wiretaps. We got other coaches telling us stuff. I totally agree, but it's a shot nonetheless. That's like saying, don't, don't go play football in Arizona at Tempe because it's too hot in the summer. Is that a shot? <laughs> Piling on. I mean, that's just a fact. Well, we talked jazz with David Locke this morning, and David is of the theory that the Brooklyn Nets are about to go on an awesome run that they simply cannot be defended, cannot be guarded, and they are going to outscore people, that it is going to be a sight to behold. He also thinks the Lakers and Clippers are going to have some problems, and one of them is going to end up in a 4-5 or five series. He thinks Denver is coming and can get a top-four spot. Uh, Denver has climbed out of that 8-9 region that they were bouncing around in, uh, and they've caught Portland now with Portland losing to Phoenix last night. So... Look out for the Nuggets, and there will be no hiding. There will be no easy path in the second round of the Western Western Conference playoffs. You're going to have a – it's going to be a hard matchup. It looks like there's at least five, maybe six really good teams. So even if somebody is injured and drops like, drops like a rock through the standings here over the last 20 or 30 games, there'll still be four or five good teams. The harder the better if you advance. I think that just makes you, makes you tougher. Maybe the Lakers don't need it, but I think everybody else needs it. Even the Clippers, I think they need it because they really haven't proven anything. I mean, last year they blew the lead. And so in the Jazz, they haven't proven anything in the postseason. Suns obviously haven't. Denver, a little bit, but no. So I think that uh, if you get a tough second-round matchup and you win it, that should give you a lot of confidence going into the conference finals. And you'll need it because the other guys will have had a tough second-round matchup. And they will have won it. So, the only proven commodity in the postseason right now in the West, in my mind, is LeBron James. Right. And if he doesn't have a team around him, then that doesn't matter. So uh, we got to watch to see. Apparently, um, you, can, you can reach out to your Lakers sources, PK. But uh, David thinks that uh, Anthony Davis is going to – they're going to get to this date. It's coming up where they said they'd reevaluate him and that they're going to reevaluate him. He's going to be out a while longer. I told you that like three weeks ago. And they went 3-7 and seven without him. Yeah, well, we're recapping today's show. You want to recap three weeks ago's show? How much longer no. do you think he's going to be out? Is it another two weeks, another four weeks? you got an idea? At, at this point, I don't think we're seeing him until April. I think they bring him back. Now that's health permitting, they bring him back to get his feet under him for, for the, the postseason. So if that's he comes what, back That's in, what I've always thought. Early to mid-April means he'll have four to six weeks to get ready for the playoffs. Right, and that should be plenty of time. Right. 
So there is absolutely no sense of urgency to bring him back, unlike the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady, who has agreed on a four-year contract extension. Okay, now, is this like Lavelle getting the five-year deal? He's not playing to the end of a four-year deal, right? Freaking Tom Brady, man. (laughs) 47-year-old Tom Brady looked at George Bland and said, I'm going to top you, old man. I'm going to top you. He's paying the price, and he's been paying the price. The diet is never wavering. I I say, yeah, I'm going to hit it hard today. And by 2 o'clock, I'm going to hit it hard tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hitting it hard. Hey, PK, look at those nachos. Yeah. I'm hitting it hard tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's he's paid the price to be in the position he's in. He's earned that right to to not have the doubt. So I don't know. I agree with you at 46-47. Come on. Right. But Nolan Ryan was throwing gas at 45. <laughs> so who's to say? Yeah. Uh, and the oldest quarterback, I think, uh, I think Blanda was winning games at 45 or 46. Now he was coming in as a backup. He wasn't playing every week. But, you know, he was throwing the ball down the field, avoiding the rush, winning games. So, But I don't think there's anything else to compare it to. Brady's that, – that's it. That's the last thing. And Brady's doing it every week, and that's a different deal. Move saves the Bucks $19 million against the cap. So – and there's an additional avoidable years there to defray the cost. So it's all structured, and we'll see where it goes. The Bucks had been almost $8 million over the salary cap. So there you go. They're the champs. They're defending champs. I think we're all ready for Tampa Bay and Kansas City in the Super Bowl next year, although Kansas City released both offensive tackles. Eric Fisher, who tore his Achilles in the AFC title game, and Mitchell Schwartz, who had a back injury, and that saves them $18 million under the cap as Andy Reid tries to get the Chiefs going again. All right, DJ and PK, coming up next, your feedback. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for your feedback. All the stuff. All the stuff. You've been, well, and I can't because you've been tweeting too much today. Man, the passion for Utah basketball. And PK, our show has evolved here over the last five years. We are primarily about the Jazz and Utah and BYU football. And there was a time when we talked a lot of college basketball. And we've talked a little more BYU basketball the last couple of years, right? There's Mark Pope has brought in an infusion of energy and more wins and NCAA yeah. tournament quality teams. Uh, but, man, Ute fans, we have so many tweets now. It is clear they are out there. They are lurking. They are out there. They are out there, and they're lurking, and they're waiting. They're waiting for something they're to rally around. Oh, they are, they're absolutely frustrated, 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what do you think should happen with Larry now? And Julie, you know, should he come back? Uh, the double overtime game and a three-game win streak and then a double overtime loss to a USC team that, that could easily end up being a Sweet 16 team. Now, they may check out early. The NCAA tournament's yeah. crazy. And we don't know the matchups. But if they're in the Sweet 16, they've got NBA, future NBA talent, and nobody's shocked by that. And Julie says, um, no, look at his overall track record and how freaking much he's getting paid. The salary yeah, really we does. We really talk about that. The salary really does pay, play into this. It's it's really irritated people. It's pissed people off. We talked about the buyout, mm-hmm. but the actual salary that he's receiving now, you're not getting your return. I don't. I I'm I'm in Larry's camp, but I can't argue that you're not getting the return on the amount of money that he's getting annually. Now, forget about the buyout. I'm talking about the the actual salary. So I understand that completely. The real wild card here that we haven't talked about that um, I only have a little bit of awareness about, and I probably 
won't have more. I don't know. Maybe I could. Um, you know, is that what's at the root of all these kids transferring? And if that has been fixed, as much as it's a talent coming back, let's assume that normal stuff happens, right? A senior decides to move on and they lose Plummer. And a junior who's talented decides to go to the draft and maybe ends up in the G League or whatever. But, it, you know, it's not unusual, right? Now you've, you've lost two guys who you're really counting on for 30 to, 30 to 40 points in any given game. That's a big hit. Correct. But the problem with kids leaving yes. the program has been the kids who shouldn't be leaving the program who go and play at other schools. And I think that goes back to, yes, I think that goes back to you're supposed to have on the the standard thought on college coaches is that you have a staff where it's good cop, bad cop. You have a guy who kicks butt, takes names, yells profanities across the court when he sees defensive rotations being slacked off on, whether it's in a game or he's just he's the bad cop. And you have a good cop over here who can pat guys on the back, put his arm around the shoulder when he needs to. And. From what I've heard, there's been too much bad cop, bad cop, and there hasn't been that balance on the youth staff, and that's why a lot of kids have left. Now, has Larry fixed that over the last year or two? Introspection, whether it's about your coaching, you know, your, your personality, the way you set goals and communicate, whatever that is. If Mark Harlan thinks that's been fixed, then he doesn't really have to address the 45 and 42 record over the last three years. Because I think that goes back to the root problem that's led to underachieving and too many losses. Has that been fixed? And I, don't, I can't sit here and answer that right now. Maybe you can. But I think that's a critical question for Mark to answer if he's thinking about bringing Larry back. If he's already decided, never mind, then never mind. And if he's already been told, don't do the money, even if we could afford it, it's such a bad look, we're not doing it. And if his bosses have told him that, in those two cases, the decision's already made one way or the other. But if they're in that gray area, well, we'll they're thinking about bringing it back, that to me, that is the one question that has to be answered. And all the stuff I told you about, the history of how they've handled other coaches and the wins and losses, the thing I would want to know is the answer to that question. Are we past the bad cop, bad cop, and you wearing out guys and them transferring? And why are we? Don't just All right, tell I'll me. I'll talk to you Monday. Don't just tell me why we're past it. Good. Tell me what you've done to really change that. Because I think that's, that is probably I'll the I'll talk to you Monday, this. bad cop. All right, there it is. I'll see you Monday, bad cop. All right. <laughs> that's a reference to in radio, you're supposed to run a show, have two guys, and one's a good cop and one's a bad cop. In case you were wondering what PK was doing there. We'll be back on the air Monday morning, bad cop. See you, good cop. DJ PK. Thank you. <laughs> good cop and bad cop. And Yock here to make sure we stay on time. You failed again, Yock. We've stolen time from Scotty and Hans. So coming up next, we'll see you Monday morning, 6 to 10 on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.